Welcome to our Bible class today. Okay, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning as we continue. Actually, we will wrap up this chapter today. By the way, just let me mention there will be no Bible class next Sunday morning, okay? Uh, just next Sunday morning only. There will be no Bible class. We'll just have our worship service. Um, I'm going to be out of town and uh, we're short some guys, so we're just going to be, uh, we're just going to just kind of go to a skeleton schedule with everybody leaving and doing their thing and what have you. Uh, but then we'll be back um, uh, the following Sunday, first Sunday in January, back to the Bible class at 930 uh, that morning. Okay, so please remember that. First Corinthians, help me pass the word too for those that may not know. First Corinthians chapter 3 and uh, let's, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll, uh, we'll close out this chapter today, okay? Father, we thank you for the privilege to be able to come into your presence and to be able to study your word together. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and help us to receive your word today and help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to become more like you and, and, uh, in everything that we do in our lives. I ask your blessings on our service today, our blessings on our time of study today. And just pray, dear Lord, that you would speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just by way of review, as we close out this chapter, as we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, do, re- do we remember what chapter 1 was about? Do you remember that there's a problem at the church at Corinth, right? Uh, there's some divisions among them. There's um, a spirit of carnality that has creeped in. And there's several different things that Paul is reminding the church at Corinth about, and he starts in chapter 1. Do you remember what he's reminding the church, the Christians, the believers, uh, what they're about in chapter 1? Anybody remember that? They're calling. All right, good job, Elton. Remember they're calling, what God has called them to be as Christian people. The second chapter deals with another uh, emphasis that Paul is putting on their, their life. What is that? The gospel. It's, it's their service, what they're to be doing, right? It's to be, it's their mission in life is to be sharing the gospel, uh, with everyone around them. Chapter three now, he's talking about the Christians what? The Christian's church. He's talking primarily now about the church, the body of Christ, and is what we see here in chapter number three. Today, let's just begin reading really in verse number uh, let's just pick up in verse number 10 and let's read through the end of the chapter. We've already covered part of this last week. We'll finish the rest of it today. Uh, but let's just pick up in chapter 3 in verse number 10. It says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation, an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no man or no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. And if it is burned up, get this now, I'm going to talk a little bit about this judgment here. But in verse number 15, pay attention. If it is burned up, if his work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Get this phrase. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I'm going to unpack that here in just a moment. 
Verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now, uh, if you remember last week, uh, I unpacked that verse a little bit. And sometimes we will bring that to the individual life, uh, individual person. I believe that's very good application. I think it will apply there. Uh, but I believe in the context of the scripture, he's still addressing the church. Okay. Uh, chapter three is dealing primarily with the church. In chapter six, you'll see where he uses this reference once again. There, within the context of that scripture, he's addressing the individual. Okay, just want to throw that in there. I still believe that even the reference "you yourselves," I think he's within the context of the scripture. He's addressing the church, not necessarily in individuals. And he's going to do that though in chapter six. Okay, but we know that individuals make up the church, but I just want you to understand the context of what he's addressing there. He's still talking about the church. Don't you, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become was there's a warning of self-deception that's taken place and we'll look at that for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight and then Paul quotes a few passages of scripture and he says as it is written he catches the wise in their craftiness and that reference is Job 5 and verse number 13 verse 20 and again the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile and that reference is Psalm 94 and verse 11 so then no more boasting about men. Get that. All things are yours. I like how he wraps up this chapter. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. In this chapter, Paul has been sharing with us several different attributes about the church. He's been talking about how the church is a family. And in that family, the goal is maturity, spiritual maturity. And we've unpacked that pretty good. He's also talked about how the church is a field. And the goal for the church being a field is quantity, that we would grow. Matter of fact, he unpacks in that passage of scripture that we're to be doing several things as a church. We're to be uh, cultivating the soil. We're to be planting the seed. We're to be watering the seed. And then we're to trust God for the harvest, right? It's no man brings a harvest. Do we understand that? It's God that brings the increase. Our job, cultivate the soil, plant the seed, water the seed, and then we trust God to bring the increase, therefore, God gets the glory for it all. So the church is a field. In this latter part, in verse 10, really the latter part of verse number 9, where he says, uh, for you are God's building, the latter part of verse number 9, we see that the church is a temple. And the goal there is quality. Okay, He's emphasizing several different structures and several different emphasis uh, that we must have in order to build God's temple the way that it is to be built. Now, there are several different conditions that must be met whenever we're building the church, the temple of God. Whenever we're building this church, there are several different conditions. That's what Paul is mentioning here in 1 Corinthians in the latter part of chapter number 3. Last week, we unpacked two of them. Today, I want to finish with the next two. Last week, we talked about how we must build on the right foundation. Look, if you will, in verse 10 and 11. Paul says this, 
By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Now, the foundation we know is Jesus Christ, right? If you remember, Paul said when he came to Corinth, he said earlier in the letter, he said, when I came into your presence, I declared to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, Paul said the foundation of this church has been laid already and it's been laid on the Lord Jesus Christ and him being crucified. So we got to be careful that we build on the right foundation. The second thing in order to, uh, to, to meet the certain conditions that will glorify the Lord and that he will be honored with in building the church, we must build with the right material. And here he's talking about, in verses 12 down through verse number 17, he's talking about some of the different materials, and he's using, if, um, look in verse 12, if any man builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Now he's talking about these different materials um, that are being used in building up the local church. Uh, what do you think these different materials symbolize? Uh, and we unpacked this a little bit last week, and I'm not going to spend much time on it today. But I don't necessarily believe it's talking about motive here, although that's going to come to play here in just a minute. I believe it's talking about the doctrines of the Word of God. Remember, he's talking about the seed that we're to be planting the, the the seed is the word of God and earlier on in the first previous chapters he's been talking about the word and the word is the seed and, and the word is Jesus Christ, the foundation that we're building on and, and, and here we're going to see that we're all going to stand in judgment and I, I, I just can't help but believe that here he's talking about the doctrines that are, that are integrated, that are being built in the church. Now I want you to look at what he's talking about here in verse number 12, or I'm sorry, verse 13. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. And it will be revealed with fire. And fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now get that. Now who is Paul talking to here? He's writing this letter. Who's it addressed to? The church, right? It's addressed to the church. And who makes up the church? Believers, Christians. So it's addressed to all of us that are working in the building up of the local church. And he's saying that there's going to be what for every single one of us? A judgment day. Guys, do you realize just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we escape God's judgment? Now, the judgment for our salvation and the judgment for our sin was already met on Calvary, okay, at the cross. And whenever we come to the Lord and we admit that we are sinners and we ask for his forgiveness and we believe in the person of Jesus Christ and we invite him into our heart and into our life, as far as our salvation is concerned, that's taken care of. But there is still going to be a judgment for every Christian. Matter of fact, there are two judgments that are yet to come. Do you remember the passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 27? Is anyone familiar with that verse? If I start quoting it, you'll be very familiar with it. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. Do you realize that every single one of us, I heard someone say one time, and 
just as a way of an illustration, I heard someone say one time, say, well, there's two things we're all going to do in life. And one, number one, we're all going to die. And number two, we're going to pay taxes. Well, that may be true for some, but that's not necessarily true for everybody. You know, some people they kind of avoid taxes for whatever reason, but hello? But there are two things that are, that are dead level certain and sure that every single one of us are going to face. And that's death and judgment. Now, we as Christians will face judgment as well. Matter of fact, do you, do you realize that a lot of times whenever we think about fire, we think about hell, don't we? Right? We think about hell. We think about the lake of fire. We think about the second death. But do you realize there will be a fiery judgment for every born-again believer as well after you die? There are two judgments that are mentioned uh, in, in the Bible that are, that are left once we die. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, let's go back within the context of the scripture that we're talking about. As you're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, let me once again read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 13. It says, His work will be shown for what it is because the day, and that's capital D, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed. What is it? The work. The work will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. What day is he talking about? And what fire and what work and what what is all this that he's talking about? Well, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. And I don't have time to unpack all of this, but I just want to kind of whet your appetite here a little bit. Verse 10. For we must all appear... Before the judgment seat of what? Christ. Now, notice that it said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, guys, understand that this judgment seat of Christ that only believers will be at that judgment. There will be no unsaved or unbelieving people at this particular judgment. There's another judgment for them, and I'm going to show that to you in a minute. This judgment is for every single one of us as believers. I'll stand at this judgment. And when I stand at that judgment, I'll be standing there by myself. There'll be no one else. There'll be no excuses. But what is going to be judged? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Hold your finger there in 2 Corinthians 5. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to look at what's going to be judged. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12. What's going to be judged is what you have been using in building the local church. In your service. In your life. And you're being involved. You see, guys, as a Christian, we have some wonderful liberties. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But we also have some tremendous responsibilities. And every single one of us are going to stand at this judgment seat of Christ. And I want you to pay attention at what's going to be judged. If any man builds on this foundation, what is the foundation we're building on? We're building on the foundation of the church, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold and silver... 
and costly stones. And then wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, 2 Corinthians 5.20, the judgment seat of crust, the day of judgment for believers, the day will bring it to light. It will reveal what we've been working, the tools and the materials that we've been using. It will be revealed with fire and fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now pay attention to verse 14. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. Let me stop there. You see, if we're building with gold and silver and costly stones, whenever that goes through the fire, it will stay. And matter of fact, it, it really comes out more brilliant on the other side of the fire, does it not? But we all know, and it will not be consumed, but we all know that wood, hay, and straw or stubble, when that's thrown into the fire, it will be consumed. Now, what's being tested? The quality. Okay, the quality, not the quantity, but the quality of the work. A good quality work is work that is built with gold and silver and precious stones. A bad quality work is a work that's built with wood and hay and stubble. Okay, we've got to pay attention. Now, what, how do we build with gold and silver and precious stones? I think, one, first of all, our doctrines have got to be pure. We can, there, there's only one thing that will stand the test of any fire, and it's the Word of God, right? So as we are building on the Word, we can trust that that's going to endure and make it through the fire. But it's when we get away from the doctrines of the Word is then when we're building with wood and with hay and stubble. But let me, let me pay, show you something here in verse number 15. 1 Corinthians 3. If it is burned up, Let's just say that for whatever reason, and it may be what Paul is alluding to in verse 18, that self-deception has come into play. We've deceived ourselves with the work that we're using. And if that's come into play, look what it, in verse 15. If it, if what? What is it? The work, what we're building with, the materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. If it is burned up, where is it going to be burned up at? I just want you to get this. At the judgment seat of Christ, when we are judged, not by how much we do, but on the quality of the work that we're doing. Get this now, verse 15. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. but He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now get this. Whenever we stand at the judgment seat of Christ as believers, we're not being judged on whether we're saved or not. That's taken care of at the cross. That's taken care of here. Okay? So, the loss that you may suffer is not that you're going to lose your salvation. It's not that now you're going to lose your walk with Christ and you're going to be cast out to hell and the lake of fire and suffer the second death. No, that was taken care of here. Matter of fact, for everybody, that decision is taken care of while we are here 
alive, walking in this body, living on this earth. And that's our response and our, our receiving the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's taken care of here. Okay? At the judgment seat of Christ, there our works are going to be tried by fire. And we're going to see what type of work. It's going to be revealed. And the Lord's going to bring it to light as it goes through the judgment of fire. Now, that's the judgment seat of Christ that's mentioned. There's a whole lot more I could say about that, but that kind of gives you an overview of that particular judgment. Okay? Now, there's another judgment for unbelievers. Turn over to the book of Revelation. And by the way, I don't know if you um, are aware of this, uh, but I've, I've spent about, about a year and a half preaching verse by verse through the entire book of Revelation. And we have that series available to you. There's 60, Jim, how many, how many sermons are there? 45, 45 different lessons, um, sermons on CDs, and they're in a packet, and you can get those, and, and uh, those are available. I think we have two that he's just made and, and uh, two extra ones that he's just made. And so those are available if you want to hear that. It's verse by verse of the entire book of Revelation. It's a very good study. But in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11, look what John the Revelator is penned for us, inspired of the Holy Spirit, part of the vision that he saw. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne. Now the white throne judgment, before I read this, is for unbelievers. It's for the lost. It's for unsaved. There are no Christians at this judgment. Okay? Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know about you, but I don't find a whole lot of joy in reading that passage. That passage brings dread to my spirit, to my soul. I don't... I've, I've seen Christians and preachers that get all excited about this passage because people are going to get their reward. That grieves my spirit to read this passage. That some people are going to stand at the judgment unprepared. And they've chosen not to accept Christ. And this is their judgment. The lake of fire. The second death. But I want you to know as a Christian... You will not be at this judgment being judged. I can't help but think, and you can get the Revelation series and unpack it for yourself. I think we'll be aware of what's taking place. And I think we may even stand as witnesses in this judgment. We may even see, and you can read the scripture and and discern that for yourself, but we will not be the ones being judged there. Our judgment is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Okay, that's what Paul is referencing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 13. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. 
the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire and fire will test the quality of each man's work. So we got to build with the right foundation. We got to build with the right materials. Uh, Thirdly, another condition that's got to be met in order to glorify the Lord and for him to be honored in the way that the church at Corinth and our church today is being built is that we've got to have the right plan. Uh, It's got to be built on the right plan. Not only the right foundation, not only the right materials, which I believe is the doctrine, the teaching of the word of God, but also a proper plan in building God's church. Look what he says in verse 18 down through verse number 20. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. Here, I've already alluded to this, and here is where many in the church at Corinth had fallen into this self-deception. They had deceived themselves. They had become very judgmental. They had become very man-oriented. They had become divided as a result of that. But they thought they were wise. The problem was they were tapping into the wisdom of the age. And not necessarily the wisdom of God. Okay? Uh, just let me say this. And, uh, and this, there, there's a delicate balance right here. And it may come a, as a shock to, to many believers. But just, just let me say this. You cannot manage a local church like you manage a business. You just can't do it. Now, my dad has been in business all of his life. I've never known my dad to work outside of his own business. And he's instilled in me a, a lot of business principles but here's one thing that I do know. As a matter of fact, he's invited me back uh, to take over his business and, wants me, and on and on. And, and boy, how my heart sometimes longs to go home. But uh, that's not what God's called me to do. But he has instilled in me a lot of business principles as we sit and talk and as I study business. But here's one thing that I have discovered. You can't run a church the way you run a business. Now, there are a lot of business principles That can be applied in a church. And there are a lot of teachings of a successful business that some of those we can bring over into a church. But a church is not run by the wisdom of this world. Okay? That's what Paul's saying here. That's what he's writing to the church at Corinth. If anyone thinks to be wise by the standards of this age, by the wisdom of this world, by the intellect of our secular day, Paul said, let him become a fool. If you remember, we've already unpacked this whole, this whole analogy of the wisdom of the world is, uh, and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it's foolishness to the wisdom of the world. And we did that in the previous, previous chapters. But get this. The wisdom of the world and, and I guess how, how, how business and, and what the world depends on. The world depends on promotions. It depends on prestige. It depends on the influence of money. And, and important people, key important people within a business, and you implement all those things and you can have a successful business. The church doesn't depend on those things. The church depends on prayer. The church depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. The church depends on humility. The church depends on sacrifice. The church depends on service. And much of that is volunteer service or ministry there's a difference in the two okay 
And we cannot bring the, the wisdom of the age, the wisdom of the world into the running of the church. Matter of fact, as you study the church, the first century church in the book of Acts, you'll find out that that church in the book of Acts was a powerful church, had a life-changing ministry with everyone that they came in contact with, really turned the world upside down for Jesus, but they had none of the secrets of success that we try to pin on churches today to be successful. Let me share a few of what they had none of as far as the secrets of success. Number one, they had no building. I thought I'd start there, being that's where we are. (laughs) They had no building, but they still turned their world upside down for the Lord. They had no building. They had no influence in government whatsoever. And apparently we do not either. (laughs) They had no building, no influence in government. They had no treasury. They had ordinary men with no special degrees or education from the prominent seminaries or, 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 or colleges or institutions or universities of that day. Just 12 ordinary men that did extraordinary things for God. Now, as I unpack some of that, the wisdom of the world would look at that and say, there's no way you're going to make an impact on society. You don't have a building, you don't have influence in government, you don't have important scholarly people. Look what you have. (laughs) They had no attendance contest. They really didn't keep a roll. They just showed up, declared the gospel, preached it, people accepted it, lives were changed. They went out, shared the gospel, invested and inviting in their friends, and they got plugged in. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And they changed the world. Turned it upside down. Guys, listen. And there's a whole lot more that I could say about all of this in verse 18. But look what, look at the warning, the heed that Paul gives all of us. He says, do not deceive yourselves. Do not deceive yourselves. Apparently, the church at Corinth had been deceiving themselves. Bringing the wisdom of the age, the wisdom of the world into their church. And then it brought great division among their church. Guys, let me me show another passage of scripture to you. Turn, if you will, over to Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. While you're turning there, just let me say this. God has a specific plan for every church. God has a specific plan for every church. Now, although our doctrines are the same, I believe that the plan, or should be the same, should be the doctrines of the Word of God. The plan that He has for every church, as well as every believer, as far as living that out, may be a little bit different. Look what He says in Philippians chapter 2, in verse number 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And before I tell you what this does say, let me tell you what it does not say. It does not say that you're working for your salvation. 
Okay? It does not say, oh, I got I to gotta continue working for my salvation. I got to continue working this out so that I can have my salvation. That's not, it's, it's not saying that. Okay? You got to compare scripture with scripture, and I can take you to a dozen verses that will contradict that thought process. Okay? So it's not saying that you're working for your salvation. You're working out your salvation. It's almost the, the horizontal versus the vertical. The vertical is taken care of at the cross. Now we're working it out. This, this type of teaching would go along with what James was talking about. By our faith being revealed by the works that we're involved in. And show me your works, I'll show you your faith. It's, um, it's, it's a horizontal type. We're working out our salvation. We're working because we are saved. We're working out the plan, the purpose, the calling that God has. On You understand that? That's, that's what he's saying here. I, want, I just want you to clarify that because I have run across so many Arminians that take this verse and talk about working for their salvation. That is not proper doctrine. It's continue to work out your, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to what? His good purpose. His plan. So God has a plan. And then I love Jeremiah 29 11. Let's turn there real quickly. Jeremiah 29 11. You probably are well familiar with this verse as well. But Jeremiah 29 11. And this is what the, I love how verse 4 starts. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a good future. Verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find you, find me. When you seek me with your whole heart. And God has a plan that he's working out in all of us. We go back to the Philippians passage. And we see that we're working out our salvation through, through, through the calling that God has placed on us to fulfill his purpose and his plan in our lives. He's doing that same thing through every church. Okay? God's working through the church. God's working through our lives. So I believe this. I believe every pastor. I believe every lay leader. I believe every member of every local assembly must be seeking the mind of God as we work out his church. And if we seek man's wisdom, it will entrap us. Matter of fact, it leads to vanity and futility. And that's what the scripture teaches us. Look in verse number 19. Verse number 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness is as in God's sight. As it is rich, written... He's quoting Job 5.13. He catches the wise in their craftiness. Who is the he there? He's talking about the, that he is referencing the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the age. If we tap into that, it's going to catch you in, in, in the craftiness of, of the wisdom of the age. The Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So the wisdom of the world is only there and man's wisdom is there to entrap us. And man's wisdom leads to vanity and futility, as it's mentioned in verse number number 20. So therefore, the church must be identified with the needs of the world, must be aware of what's taking place in our world, 
But we must not emulate or imitate the wisdom of this world. Right? That's what Paul is saying there. And how that had creeped into the church at Corinth. Last one. i got to stop. It's, it's 11 after. Let me give you the last condition. It must be met as we close this out. To build the church the way God wants it built, we must build with the right motive. And motive will come into play as well at the judgment seat of Christ. Not only what we used in building the church, but why we used it. The motive. Why do, why do you do what you do? Do you realize that will be judged? Why, why are you involved in the ministry of Christ through the local church? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you praying daily? Why are you reading your Bible? Why are you giving of your time and your, your money and your service? Why are you doing all? All of our motives will come into judgment. And we must build with the right motive. And the motive, the ultimate motive, is to glorify God. With our lives, with our service, with our dollars, everything. To glorify God. That's the ultimate motive. Look what he says as we close it out in verse 21 through 23. So then, <laughs> I like this emphasis here. And the New International Version has an exclamation point. So then, no more boasting about men. <laughs> That's what Paul is writing if he was vocally with an audible voice telling. I believe that's how he would say it. That's what they were doing. I'm following Paul. I'm following Cephas, which is Peter. I'm following Apollos. No more boasting about men. That's what Paul is saying there. All, and, and now look what he says, and this is good. And, and I don't have time to really to unpack all this. And, and there's a whole lesson right here that you could teach for an hour on, on these few verses. But look what he says. All things are yours. It's all yours. And then he mentions, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas, they're all yours. One was saying, I'm with Paul or I'm with Apollos or I'm with Cephas. Paul said, they're all yours. You don't have to just pick one. You can have them all. You understand that? He didn't stop there. But look what else he said. Or the world? Don't, don't just stop with these men. The world is yours. Life, death, present, or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. I like that. You know what that gets into somewhat? When he says all things are yours, you know what that's called? That's called Christian liberty. But then when he says that you are Christ... That's Christian's responsibility. Wow, there's a whole message that could be preached right there on the liberty and the responsibility of a child of God from that passage of Scripture. But Paul is trying to let them see that, that their division and their carnality and them feuding over the different styles that Paul may have had and Cephas may have had. And I unpacked some of those styles last week for you. That Paul's saying, all of them are yours. And we're all building. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gives the increase. So the proper motive in building God's church is that we glorify Him. 
that he stays the focal point, the center of everything that we do and say, and realizing that one day we as believers will stand before him and be judged by everything that we've said and done, the works that we've done, the service we've been involved in, the doctrines that we've te- taught, and the motives behind all of our service. It will all come to light when it's judged by fire. And the question is, are we building with gold and silver and precious stones? Or are we building with wood and hay and stubble or straw? The day of judgment will bring it to light. Let's judge ourselves right now before that day. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and God, how it just comes alive. And it's so rich and so powerful and it's so convicting and it's so sharp. And your word says it's like a two-edged sword dividing asunder deep to the marrow and the soul of the spirit. And Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray then that, that we all as individuals that make up the the body of Christ here at Victory Church, that we would build on the right foundation, that we would use the right materials, that we would have the right plan, and we would have the right motive as we work together to glorify you in everything that we do. Father, I ask your blessings on all of our lives, and and I ask your blessings on our ministry, and, and God, as we just try our best, To reach a world that doesn't know you. And as we try to use your wisdom. That in the world's eyes is foolishness. But in your eyes it's divine. God help us Lord. To stay faithful to you. And not deceive our own selves. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you're at liberty to go.